0: This talk was given by Ronald Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and is co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website at zmm.mro.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. So koans of the way of the Way of Reality, Case 103, The Stone Lion. So this koan that we'll work with today is from a book of koans that Daito Roshi put together in mid-career that he specifically used for specific ways of looking at practice. So The Stone Lion, the prologue introduction. Confined in a cage up against a wall, pressed against barriers. If you linger in thought, holding back your potential, you will remain mired in fear and frozen in inaction. If, on the other hand, you advance fearlessly and without hesitation, you manifest your power as a competent adept of the way. Passing through entanglements and barriers without hindrance, the time and season of great peace is attained. How do you advance fearlessly and without hesitation? Listen to the following. The main case. The national teacher and Emperor Su Tsing arrived at the front gate of the Imperial Palace. The national teacher pointed to the stone lion and said, Your Majesty, this lion is very rare. Can you give me a single turning phrase about it? The, The emperor said, I cannot give a phrase. Please, will the master give one? The national teacher replied, Oh, this is the mountain monastic's fault. Later, Qingying of Taiyuan asked the national teacher, Did the emperor understand? The national teacher said, Let's put aside whether he understood. How do you understand it? The verse each crisis, an opportunity. Yet if you fail to act, you miss it by a thousand miles. The cave of the blue dragon is ominous. Only the fearless deer dare to enter. It is here that the forest of patterns is clearly revealed. The myriad forms evident. It is here that one bright pearl is hidden. So this is a subtle koan, a challenging koan, and um, I'm going to comment on it. Um, And I picked this koan because quite a number of people in Dyson have been uh, talking about um, really the current political situation and their fears about it and the uh, challenges that that brings up for them. and asking how to work with that. So the prologue says, confined in a cage, up against a wall, pressed against barriers, if you linger in thought, holding back your potential, you you will remain mired in fear and frozen in inaction. So as per the old Chinese curse, we are living in interesting times. So many accustomed and long-established ways of earning a living, of doing business, of how our government institutions work, how the power dynamics that we're accustomed to play out, how our comfortable understanding of societal mores and how we have assumed who gets power and how it is used, and the sexual and gender implications of that are all changing and they're changing quickly. Would you please see, he needs help. And this especially plays out in the political arena and seems to threaten so much that we've taken for granted. Of course, we all understand that reality is change. Without change, there's no consciousness, there's no self-awareness, there's no self, and there's no existence. The word for no change is death. And yet, change threatens our understanding of who we are. The reaction of many of us to the rapid changes is disorientation, fear, attachment, confusion, Projection of our fear unto what is not us and self-protection. Of course, this is natural and perhaps universal when change occurs like this. We're coming from our stable sense of self and can't keep it. And so we simply hunker down and either protect or attack, or both, in subtle and formidable ways. From a self-protective perspective, it makes no sense to stop and consider that nothing different is going on than what in one form or another has always been going on, always, through all time. And the whole time we thought there was predictable stability in our own sense of ourself and who we are and the society we navigate. There were forces and energy that were gathering. And eventually the spillover of change becomes obvious within the context of our life. So it's always been this way, not in the specifics, of course, but in the overall reality we create with our mind. And that reality arises from fear and anger and ignorance, the three poisons from a Buddhist perspective. And it's always about the self. It's always moi, subtly or overtly. So fear. Fear is nervousness. Fear is anxiety. Fear is a sense of inadequacy a feeling that we may not be able to deal with the challenges of what is before us. Life is overwhelming, and we have to move. We have to create energy or drama or resistance to being present or, or do anything to avoid our fears. Move towards, move away, but in some way manifest energy. Often in the name of doing something positive. We may use tranquilizers, yoga, or anything we can find to distract or suppress fear, or just try and float through it. We have all sorts of gimmicks and gadgets that we use in the hope that we might experience fearlessness simply by taking our minds off the fear. So keep in mind that I'm speaking in general terms. But in you, yourself, and me, myself, that fear is very specific, very concrete, as well as very broad and anxious. Both those things are present. At the base of our fear is a fundamental ignorance. We just don't know. We are ignorant. Ignorant of what? the reality of who we are. That's fundamentally the issue here. Who are we? Although it can be framed in many other ways. And the thought bubble we assign to who we think we are, the you and the thought bubble we assign to who we think you are, the one outside the ones outside ourselves inherently creates a never-ending anxiety. An anxiety that most of the time we're not even aware of. So the ignorance is the ignorance of the relationship between you and I, between you and any so-called object, between you and your sense of yourself, between you and your sense your sense of yourself, between you and you. We're not grounded in the emptiness of being. I want to say it another way, in the fullness of our being. It's the same same statement. The wholeness. But instead rely on some desperate longing for security and reliability that can't be threatened by change. So the bottom line is we live out of a basic befuddlement simply because we will not give up grasping for whatever we think will stop our pain and indifference. And because we do not appreciate impermanence or selflessness or wholeness, we do not often see what suffering actually is. We do not usually see and appreciate the karma we're creating, the effect that we're creating, out of our ignorance. Out of our actions that come out of fear, we can see ourselves confined in a cage, up against a wall, pressed against barriers. If you linger in thought, holding back your potential, you will remain mired in fear and frozen in inaction. So that's an option. I think we all know that option. But in turning to our mind stuff, using our fear as an opportunity. To actually see the process of self-creation. The process of a deepening hopelessness. And the process of self-confirmation. A reification of ourself. A fixture of ourself. We're missing the perspective of awakening. A practice of awakening. We're missing that this is a bottomless, wonderful, ever-present opportunity to actually see what's real, to actually see what's beneath the hopelessness and the fear, to actually use that same energy of avoidance to help us wake up, to help us see, when I say wake up, to see what is real, to dispel the cloud of ignorance. Often, this is not a process we desire. We don't. It hurts to face ourselves. But if we have some clarity of our desire to actually realize ourselves, to to dispel the ignorance, then the door can open to freedom from the dominating small cage of options that we allow ourselves. So, Daido Roshi in this. Preamble says, if on the other hand you advance fearlessly and without hesitation, you will manifest your power as a competent adept of the way. Passing through entanglements and barriers without hindrance, the time and season of a great peace is attained. The time and season of a great peace is attained. This is the fullness of our being. This is who we are. When you remove all the layers that we've, that have been and that we have plastered over ourselves, It's like, you know, you see some painting from the Middle Ages, which is okay. And then you start removing the layers. And you start reestablishing what was there. And you come across a Rembrandt. That's who you are. So, this is the fullness of our being, untarnished by circumstances, incorruptible, yet present and responsive. And this is the Buddha's third and fourth noble truth. I'm not going to review them, probably, hopefully, most of you have encountered them. But I will say the pain and confusion arising out of our ignorance is optional, it doesn't have to be that way. And there is a way for that to be attained personally. And I do mean personally. So Daito Roshi asks, how do you advance fearlessly and without hesitation? Listen to the following. The national teacher and Emperor Su Tsang arrived at the front gate of the Imperial Palace. The national teacher pointed to a stone lion and said, your majesty, this lion is so very rare Can you give me a single turning phrase about it? Our life is always, in a never-ending way, asking us this question. Although usually we're not aware of it. Can you give a turning word now, here, as to what is before us? A turning word is a word or phrase which turns us from delusion From separation to reality. It's instant. It's that. It penetrates us. It's a pivot point that is directly the truth, and we instantly recognize it. It's not a conceptual dream of the truth. It's not removed by our intellection, by our reifying. It's not about something, it's direct. Most of the time we're probably asleep to any sense of this, to this moment, to this so-called object we encounter with our senses. To this lion that's in front of us. Discreet, what is before us? Yet it is the boundless interconnectivity totally of our being, all beings, right before us now. Not, I'm not talking from the perspective of intellection here. I'm reality talking. Teachers will use any object to encourage us to see directly. Doesn't matter what object. There's koans in which a teacher asks a student, what is a shit stick, meaning toilet paper? Any object. The so-called object is not limited by our objectification. Objectification. So what are we being asked to see? What is this? What is this truly? And of course implicit in that is who are you? Who is the one that is looking, seeing, thinking, sitting there now? How could it be more personal than that? It's interesting that this practice is totally about you in the best sense of the The you. Seeing to this being, being, your being, in this time and place is very rare indeed, but completely within your capacity. That's a given. That's what you realize when you wake up, that all beings are whole and complete from the beginning. So the emperor responds, I cannot give a phrase. Please, will the master give me one? And there's some courage here. When we're asked a direct Dharma question, we face ourselves, our fear. And instead of responding out of knowing, can we respond out of our present awareness? All possibilities are here. When you're asked or inquire directly, all possibilities are before you. In life, in this moment, we do not know. Grasp this moment. Of course we can't. It's already moved, right? On to the next ungraspable moment. On to the next. And meanwhile, a life is going by. It was just a moment ago that you were 10 years old, right? In another moment, you'll be dying ungraspable. The wonder of this, the ungraspableness of this is the wonder of this. The actuality of not knowing, and I'm speaking of the actuality, not the words here, not the idea of not knowing, not the ignorance of not knowing, but the stepping over the edge of the cliff and just not knowing as your present awareness. You're stepping into wide open space, into groundlessness, into all possibilities of a limitless universe. In this present moment of not knowing, there's no reference system. There's no place to bounce off. There's no ground, there's no dependence, there's no fear, and there's no knowledge. There is the possibility of going deeper beyond all our thoughts into this vulnerable and unnerving place, into this place. That as it opens is of complete tenderness and vulnerability. Complete. And into the wisdom of who we truly are, which we cannot know from a distance, and yet shines forth in that moment. So can we begin to see the possibility of this in our anxiety of the current political situation which arises our anxiety out of fear or any other thing that we encounter that causes and contributes to the anxiety and fear? Can we look at our fear directly in the eye and be with it, open to it? See it so clearly, and yet not analyze or define it. That's the challenge. Not analyze or define it. Not know. That's knowing. Well, to see into our fear, we have to start with awareness. There also has to be a high index of suspicion that our reaction is arising from avoidance and fear. Even if it's not obvious to us in that moment, we have to be suspicious that we're hiding in a subtle and profound way and that this is a pattern of our life. We're so conditioned to react in thoughts and action in response to what we don't like and don't care for that the fear is often beneath the surface of our awareness and yet completely manifests within us it manifests in our thoughts in our judgments of others in our judgments of ourselves because when we judge others we're judging ourselves what's unacceptable in us is what we project onto others has anyone ever told you this before not to run from fear Or use our life energy to distract, not to use our life energy to distract ourselves from fear. But to turn towards it and to use it as an entry point to see deeper into who we actually are. Has anyone ever suggested that to you before? And if they have, have you thought about that and considered how you might do that? What would you discover in spending a day carefully being sensitive to when and how often and how subtly fear permeates us? How much fear will we allow ourselves to fear, to to feel? How fear permeates and directs our speech, our thought, and our actions? The three things that determine karma, the effects of what we do what happens to us. And so the national teacher replies, oh, this is the mountain monastic's fault. What is he saying? The mountain monastic is the national teacher. He's referring to himself. This is my fault. And this is the pivot point of this koan. It's the entire point of practicing Zen. Zen right in this sense, which he's saying is my fault. Later, Ying of Taoyuan asked the national teacher, did the emperor understand... The national teacher said, let's put aside whether he understood. How did you understand it? So, how do you understand what the national teacher said? Of course, when the national teacher was asked if the emperor understood, he was not being asked about understanding in the usual way of understanding. He was being asked, did he realize something? Did he see something beyond our usual way of seeing and understanding. He's being asked if the Emperor saw into the reality of the stone lion. He's asking you do you see into the reality of what is before you right now? What you see, what you hear, what you do, this koan itself? In other words, do you see yourself, all of yourself? That's just your arms, your body, your legs, your head, not just your mind, not just your thoughts, not just your feelings. Those are easy. Is that who you are? Where does yourself begin? What's the boundary of yourself? Where does it end? So the national teacher is demanding, show me your understanding of this. Show me your dharma. A turning phrase is one that is alive and jumping and vital and capable of imparting strength. What can you say about the stone lion? The national teacher replied, oh, this is the mountain monastic's fault. Is the national teacher commenting on his own personal limitations as a teacher, as a human being? Or perhaps he should not have asked so direct a question of the emperor? Perhaps he's misunderstanding the permission he has from a student. And he is, after all, the emperor, which we can't imagine. Well, maybe we can. Putin might be an equivalent to that. Maybe, I don't know. Or is he teaching? Of course, you understand that when a question is offered a a student and the student asks for help, the teacher always responds 100% of the time. So is he teaching by actually answering his own question? And if he is, what is he saying? That's the crux of this, con. What is he saying? There's a footnote to, oh, this is the mountain monastic's fault that Daito Roshi wrote. He, he wrote this koan. I mean, it exists, but, uh, and it's ancient, but his commentary and, uh, on it, and introduction, he wrote. So, oh, this is the mountain monastic's fault, and Daito Roshi says, very intimate indeed, all 68 ancestors have suffered this illness. What's the illness of 84 Dharma ancestors? What is the intimacy of this is my fault? What is his fault? In Zorba the Greek, I hope you're familiar with that. I'm always nervous about bringing up literary references by Nikos Zakas. There's a a dialogue between Basil, who's the kind of the uh, protagonist, the the foil absorber, the innocent, too smart for his own good, philosopher, intellectual, who's always asking questions, kind of like a Zen student. And um, Basil says, I don't want any trouble. Is in the midst of of a sequence of commentaries. And Zuber says, life is trouble. Only death is not. To be alive is to undo your belt and look for trouble. The full catastrophe. This is what we're doing here. We're in the midst of the full catastrophe. This is the stone lion that is very rare indeed. The whole full catastrophe. Why is it so rare? There's nothing else. It is the whole catastrophe. There is nothing else. When you realize this as your own body and mind, nothing is apart. Nothing is left out. The fear, not a problem. It may be there, but it too is the whole catastrophe. Trumper Rinpoche offered teachings on what's called the lion's roar about facing fear. He said the Bodhisattva path of wisdom and compassion, that's this path, the lion's roar is the Buddha's proclamation of emptiness, no-thingness, the direct realization of that that comes out of Zazen and practice and therefore the direct realization of wholeness. The Buddha's proclamation of emptiness, the principle that all experience is by nature empty of concepts and any fixed thing. Here the path becomes a great wide highway where one is working with both recognizing the emptiness of phenomena as well as generating compassion for sentient beings. I hope you see what he's saying. On one hand, the emptiness of all things which is the great wide highway that is compassion for all beings, nobody is left out. No matter what our particular judgment may be of other beings or another being, nobody is left out of that compassion. You can have your judgments. They're free. There's no extra charge for them. And you will have them. And seeing into the emptiness of those judgments, nobody is left out. Trumpa says, in proclaiming the culmination of Mahayana, the Buddha taught the state of enlightenment is brilliant, indestructible, and free from twofold ego, the ego of self and the ego of phenomena or other. Me here, you there, it there, the stone lion there. This lion's roar is said to have given heart attacks to some of the Buddha's disciples it was apparently deadly to those trying to maintain some solidity or reference point to the practice and livelihood. You may know the story of when the heart Sutra was preached. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. No color, sound, smell. We chanted that this morning. Thousands of monastics stood up and left, ran away. This is hearsay. They didn't run away because it's hearsay. They were running away because they were scared out of their wits that their solid Buddhist understanding was taken away from them. Nothing is what we think it is, including fear. And yet nothing, including fear, is different than what we think it is. Both those things are true. Now, there's no way to get this. There's no way to grok this, to use an old Heinlein word. But that's how it is. And when you experience that for yourself, it cannot be taken away from you. You have experienced it for yourself. It's actually how it is. But to express it in concepts and words, it falls apart. Because that's not how it is, the concepts and words. That ain't it. Any more than the word love is love. Or death is death. Or fear is fear. It ain't it. So this doesn't compute. And of course, the point is it doesn't compute. You have to see it for yourself. So every week I or some compadre or compadra of mine, I just made that word up, but you get it, sits up here and gives a talk and says the same exact thing that I'm saying in one way or another. Different frame, same picture. Or different picture, same frame. So this is a practice of seeing who you truly are, your true face, your true body, your true life. And we're practicing seeing that for ourselves. No one can give us this. There is fear, but there's no self to be afraid and paralyzed by it. So what do you find when you look to the bottom of your life? when you enter Zazen with your whole body and mind. Not depending on your mind state. Sometimes you're going to sit in your la-la land. Sometimes you're going to sit and you're completely grounded and present. But either way, the whole body and mind, resting on your desire to awaken, to open your heart to all beings, to open your heart to yourself, so that all beings are your heart to be alive is to undo your belt and look for trouble the entire catastrophe is you yours seeing this form of your own being you are free to take it up or not the verse each crisis an opportunity yet if you fail to act you miss it by a thousand miles The cave of the blue dragon is ominous. Only the fearless dare to enter. It is here in the forest of patterns that the forest of patterns is clearly revealed. The myriad forms evident. It is here that one bright pearl is hidden. Our life is endless crisis. It will never be otherwise. We're, we're designed that way to see events as potential threats. That's our nervous system. That's our brain. And always on the lookout for change. React out of our fear and conditioning, and the world becomes a fearful place. Just look around. You don't have to look far. We're like a prisoner who's been in prison for decades, and we become institutionalized. So, we are institutionalized by our institution of self. We're held captive by automatic responses. No matter what the stimuli, if you've spent time with people who've been in prison for a long time, no matter what the stimuli, they have one response fight or flight. That's it. Because that's how they've survived. It doesn't matter which you choose. And yet, the whole universe is the mountain monastic's fault. The whole universe is the monastic's responsibility, your responsibility. Daito she says, the cave of the blue dragon is ominous. Only the fearless dare to enter. When you make the decision to enter the cave of the blue dragon, you make the decision to stake yourself in awakening. You're at the edge of that when you sit Zazen. But anybody can sit Zazen. You know, the form is not it. You know, we do it in particular ways, but that's just to help it, encourage it, allow us to be still mentally and physically. The form is not that important, ultimately. Ultimately. You have to master the form to let it go, but it's not about the form. It's about you. The blue dragon is the dragon of awakening. It's to face your own face, to see your own true face. That is the invitation of Zazen, of Zen practice. And it's no small thing, and it's no easy thing. You don't just decide to do that, and okay, the rest is all downhill. No, the rest is all uphill. Because we are so heavily conditioned, we are so fearful, and we're not going to press a button and get rid of that fear. We'll just take that fear into spiritual practice, into our Zazen into the place that scares the shit out of us. And yet that shit is empty. But we do not know that for ourselves. We only know our conditioned karmic self. So we have to trust something that we cannot know. We have to take a leap that I spoke of earlier into not knowing, not being so solidly fixed in our confident sense of the structure that we have created, that we call ourself. And yet, we're not going to go running naked down the street. Going, That's not the answer either, obviously. It's to do this with intelligence, with guidance, with a sangha, with teachers, with the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, together and yet individually. So what will you face when you enter this cave? What will you see? What will you do in your seeing? So we say, Sensei, some of you may know her. She's one of the four teachers in the Mountains and Rivers Order. And, uh, she's sometimes here. Um, has in, on the back of her door in the Dyson room she's usually in, in the monastery, a picture. Which is a picture of a lion. That she drew. And when I look in that, the eyes of that lion, there it is. There is both that cave, the fear and the fearlessness and the deep, deep compassion. And when I'm using that room in Sushin, sometimes I ask people as they're getting up to leave to stop at that door and look in your own eyes as you look at that picture. Because there it is. It's unmistakable, at least to my eyes. I have to tell you, I have a to, confession to make. I always thought that picture, and I knew as we say it, done it, was a lioness. And if you know as we say, it, it's a perfect metaphor for her. <laughs> uh, and uh, so in preparation for this, I asked her, you know, I didn't know who did it. So I asked her who drew the lioness, and she wrote back, oh, it's a lion, I did it. <laughs> I had shot through this whole talk wherever it says the stone lion, which is the original Cohen with with the stone lioness. (laughs) Uh, So I was disappointed that I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't weave in some gender attention and correction to, you know, how I understood this. uh, Oh, well, that's my problem. So Daito Roshi finishes with, it is here that the forest of patterns is clearly revealed. The myriad forms evident. It is here that the one bright pearl is hidden. The forest of patterns. Seeing into our own mind, our own patterns, seeing the existence of them, seeing the non-existence of them, This is at the heart of this practice. They both exist and don't exist. Now the question is, where does that existence and non-existence meet? And of course the answer is, where you sit. That's the realization of it. You see the non-existence, you see the existence. They are one whole reality. It is here that the one bright pearl is hidden. That's you. Do you know that you have the luminosity of your true nature shining forth? Not just in me or in you, but in each being. In each thing. The stone lion. The human being the person you pass on the street. Clear and bright, manifesting from the emptiness that has no boundary and yet is real. If you wish to see it for yourself, the blue dragon awaits with the compassion and love that is your birthright. So one short addendum. Daito Roshi wrote two commentaries on this koan, years apart. I'm reading from the first one. But on the second one, he added this capping verse. The mountain monastic's fault. Inexhaustible. Truly inexhaustible. And if any of you ever met or listened to Dido Rush's talk, you'll know what I'm about to say is him. I think of Annie Oakley with $2 from the hip with a single bullet. What a lioness she is. I added that. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please join us on Saturday, September 8th at the Zen Center of New York City for Awakening to Karma, How Karma Manifests as Our Life in Practice, a day-long retreat offered by Ron Hogan Green Sensei. For details or to find out more about CCNYC programs, visit our website at zmm.org slash CCNYC.